let's kick this off. Let's start before we jump in with a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Father, we open our hearts to you and our minds to you. We don't believe that any of us are here today by accident. This is your direction for this day, today. And I don't know how you intend to speak to any of us individually. I know how you've spoken to me already. I pray, Lord, that you would speak. You would break open our chests and massage your truth and your word into our hearts. Make it accessible to us today, Lord. And I pray in particular that you would be calling us out of our frenetic busyness into connection with one another and with you. We pray that in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're going to be looking today at a remarkable passage of Scripture. We're going to make a couple of observations. I'm just giving you an idea of where we're going. We're going to make a couple of observations real quickly right up top based on the really rich metaphor that falls out of our passage today. And then there are five points, and I want you to listen to them as we read it. There are five points that kind of also fall out of this passage, but the payoff point for me anyway is the last one. So we're going to build up to that one. I've asked George Gahungu if he would read the scripture for us today. And George, if you don't mind, read it in English. How many languages do you speak, George? Four or five. Four or five? You've lost count? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you speak? Uh, French. You speak French, yes. And I speak Swahili. Swahili. Kirundi. Kirundi. Uh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. I speak English. Also. And English also. Yes, you do speak English. I speak a couple of languages as well, George. I speak Southern. And I speak... <laughs> All right, so 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. The body is the unit, though is made up for many parts. And though all the parts are many, therefore one body. So it's with Christ. For we were all baptized in spirit into one body, whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is no made up of one part, but of many. If a foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. I will not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not any eye, I do not belong to the body, it will not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the, in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, this part of one body, the seem to be weak or indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. But God has combined the member of the body and has given great honor to the part that lacked it. So that there should not 
be no division in the body, but that is part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffer, every part suffer with it. If one part honored, every part rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Amen. So week three in a series of conversations, we're asking why church? Why do this? Why gather on Sunday morning? Why try to connect with one another? Why go through the trouble? Are your friends on Facebook actually your friends? About nine people this morning at the nine o'clock service said no. By the way, there was a recent court case in Florida that is deciding this issue legally, whether or not your Facebook friends are your friends. And the circumstances behind it are this judge was going to sit on a case and she realized that she was a Facebook friend of one of the attorneys involved in the case. So she had to decide whether or not to recuse herself from the case based on the fact that she was a Facebook friend with one of the attorneys and they had to make an official ruling. So I want to read you the ruling from this Florida case. Quote, Facebook data mining and algorithms lead to people accepting friend requests from people they hardly know or who are only acquaintances in professional circles. Therefore, legally, Facebook friends aren't necessarily your friends. However, for those of you who are worried that you just lost most of your friends, you should know that the issue isn't settled yet. A Palm Beach appeals court ruled differently on the friend definition. That court believes that you really are as popular as Facebook tells you you are. And most legal experts believe that this case will make it to the Supreme Court where they will decide whether or not Facebook friends are really your friends. You know, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't talk much about friends or friendship. It actually strikes a deeper chord. The Bible refers to speak about us as spiritual family. In fact, instead of friendship, the Bible ultimately encourages us to be church with one another. So what does that mean, to be church with one another? In the passage that George read for us, the Apostle Paul says, the body is a unit Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. You get it. In other words, he compares the church to the body of Christ. He's saying, in effect, hey, those of you who are part of the church in Corinth, you are like Christ's body there in the city of Corinth. That suggests a couple of really cool things about the church, just based on this metaphor. First of all, it suggests that the church, people like us, actually represent Jesus to the world. Just like my body represents me to you and to the world. There was a song, I don't know if some of you may know this, on, on Christian radio that was popular a few months ago. It was by a band named Casting Crowns, and they actually sang a rebuke about this exact point to the church. These were the lyrics. If we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? And they ask these questions because as the body of Christ, we actually represent him here in our neighborhood, at school, at your workplace. We are his face, we're his arms, we're his hand. The body metaphor also suggests that the church is an organic living thing, living thing. After all, bodies are alive. It's not a building. 
It's not an institution. The church, as we said last week, is a network of relationships. Some of you went to Sunday school in some church when you were little. I don't know about you, but if you went to a Bible Belt church like I did and you went to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you may have learned, anybody remember vacation Bible school? You may have learned this little limerick. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, there's the people. I think they got that completely wrong. I think what that limerick should be is, here's a big building, there's a pointy thing on top, open the door, there's the church. The church is a network of relationships. That's what it is. It is the body of Christ. We're members of one another. Now, even apart from his use of this really rich metaphor here, Paul has some powerful and important things to say about the church. So let's dig in. He makes at least five points that should govern the way we think about the church and how we engage with it. So that's pretty critical. Five points that should govern the way we think about the church and the way we engage with it. The last point, as I said earlier, is the payoff point, at least for me. So let's build to that. Point number one, the church is composed of many different parts. Obvious. Look around. This is obvious, and I think Paul states it for a very important reason. He's trying to protect their sense of unity. If you were here last week, you remember we talked about one of Paul's central themes in, in everything he says is the unity of the church. And this unity is something that must be maintained because, one, we so desperately need it. We long for the connections that come out of that unity. And two, because we cannot represent Christ if we aren't unified. The church must be united. But in this passage, God is reminding us that in our unity, there's profound diversity. That's actually the emphasis in this passage. It's kind of like he can't say it enough over and over again. Look at how he unfolds it here. The body is a unit, though. It is made up of many parts. All its parts are many. They form one body. So it is with Christ. And then he keeps going. First unity, then diversity. For we were all baptized one spirit into one body. We were all given one spirit to drink, but now the diversity. Now the body is made up of not one part, but of many. Over and over again. This means, of course, there are many different perspectives. There are many different backgrounds, many different ways of interacting with God, and there are many different ways that God works in us, many different manifestations of how God shows up in our lives. Now, as I said, this point is kind of obvious. I mean, look, we know that here because there are a striking number of you who didn't even grow up in the United States, so you're going to have a really different perspective. But not just that, the way God shows up in our lives is, is different, often from person to person. When it's kind of obvious, but he offers it here because he was trying to create grace in this fellowship and the way they treated one another. He wanted to create patience because he wanted to preserve their unity. We know from other parts of this letter to the church in Corinth that this group was in serious conflict in a lot of places. Look, Paul is saying, you are one body. But by the way, that one body in it, there's great diversity. And, and that's a good thing, by the way. So here's the truth, and I might as well admit it. I wish all of you were just like me. I wish you had the same perspective as me on all major issues. Then you'd be right. I wish you had the same personality tendencies. I wish you had the same strengths. Frankly, you'd be much easier to get along with. 
for me. You'd be easier for me to get along with. But then we would be very limited in our ability to represent Jesus to the world around us. In fact, we could only effectively share God's love with people who are just like us. That brings us to point number two. Point number two, all of the parts of the body, the church, are needed. They're all necessary. As we said, these Corinthians were experiencing all kinds of skirmishes and conflicts. Fortunately, there are not too many conflicts here at Gateway. There are a few. The overwhelming majority of you, almost all of you, as you look around, you don't have any really serious with anybody here. There are no skirmishes here. I think I know why that is. We don't know one another. (laughs) Give it time. We'll create conflict. That's what human beings do. We will make that happen. So one of the ways that we create conflict is through our differing values, right? To me, this is really important. And we need to focus on this. And to you, this is not important at all. And to this, God says, look, the body has many parts. Even though it's one part, not all its parts are the same. Another way we create conflict is we hurt one another. I get hurt or I hurt you, either intentionally or unintentionally. At that point, what often happens is we say, I'm done. Because I'm not like her, I guess they don't need me. Because I don't see it the way he sees it, I guess I'm just not even part of it. To this, God says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Another way we create conflict is through our arrogance. What in the world is she thinking? Why is she even here, honestly? To this, God says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. That's crazy talk. This past week or week before, I couldn't remember. I was asking Britt earlier. I think it was the first or second day of school. Britt was in one of our spankly, sparkly bands out there, so notice them on the way out. They're awesome. And she was going over to one of the elementary schools to pick up our kids. Miss Britt, you know, Britt's got her smile, and we're about to start the day, and after school kids, welcome to Gateway Village, and all of a sudden the bus blows up and starts smoking. It breaks down. We can't drive the bus. It takes three or four days to get it repaired. By the way, I didn't say this at the 9 o'clock service, but we borrowed a bus from another church. It broke down too, so I don't know what was happening. Anyway, so we get the bus fixed, but here's the point. I want you to imagine we're on the bus, and the 10 seats on the bus are gathering together, and they're going to talk to one another, and they're going to say to one another, hey, steering wheel, and the seats are inside, And they start to say to one another, we got to get these kids over to Gateway Village Community Center. Let's go. Because after school is about to start, the wheels say, shoot, you're right. The side and the windows, unanimous. They all agree. But they can't make the bus move because of a fan belt. This little belt stopped that big bus from doing what it was intended to do. All the parts of the body are needed. It's almost as if someone much wiser than we are is arranging all of this, which brings us to point number three. Point number three, all of the parts are ordered and arranged by God. What we are convinced of here at Gateway is we're convinced that our experience and the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign and he is arranging the parts of the body. Now remember, we said these points should govern how we think about the church and how we engage with it. So in verse 18 of what George read for us, 
Paul said this, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I want you to think for a second about how you came to Gateway. What if that wasn't accidental? I mean, it wasn't accidental because God was behind it. I really believe that. He is arranging us just as he wants us to be. He repeats the same idea six verses later when he says, God has combined the members of the body. All the parts of the body are needed and all the parts of the body are arranged with intentionality and purpose by God and that has implications for how we treat one another and how we interact with one another. That brings us to point number four. Point number four is we give honor to one another. And I don't think Paul is stating a fact here. I think he's preaching. I think he's telling us in effect the kind of people that we are. We are the kind of people who give honor or should be. The kind of people, we're the kind of people who give honor to one another. In fact, we give special honor to those indispensable parts and the dishonorable parts. I think he's preaching and exhorting, so I'm going to read it again. Give me verses 21 through 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, some translations translate that word shameful, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Paul's basic point here is something like, when it comes to the body, looks can be deceiving. Let me unravel that for just a second. In the first sentence, when he says weaker parts, he seems to be referring to perhaps our internal organs. And to the ancient mindset, they might sometimes have wondered what some of those organs were and why they were important. Of course, knowing what we know about the human body, we know how critical they are. They aren't weaker parts, but they are weaker in the sense that they're hidden and protected. They're a bit mysterious. A second phrase, the unpresentable parts, in all likelihood, he's actually referring to the sexual organs there. And as we treat them with modesty, we cover them up, but our presentable parts, like our face, they don't need that kind of modesty. So I want you to do me a favor, if you would. Let's everybody stand. So the body, metaphor for the church, for us, the God's people, it has many parts. And those parts are all needed I mean, really, he's saying there are no immodest parts. There are some parts that get treated this way and some parts that get treated this way, but they're all critically important, all necessary. And God has arranged all of the parts of the body exactly like he wants them. And here's the point of this exercise. This is how you would hear me every Sunday if we didn't have a setup team. If there weren't people that came here early Sunday morning and set out carpet squares and put all of your chairs in place, this is how you would hear me. We have a media team buried in the back. They're almost like our, I started to say sexual organs. That does not sound good at all. <laughs> but they're buried in the back behind the glass. Uh, John, would you do this? And Lynette, just for like five seconds, would you just kill every light, every everything? Kill everything. Okay, kill my mic now, if you would. You may be seated. All of the parts are needed. FYI, another commercial break. 
If you would like to sign up for one of our teams, if it's time for you to step in, then go to mygateway.life, go under serve, and there are three teams that we need a lot of help with. So go in and sign up. We'd love for you to. Uh, this brings us to point number five, the payoff point. We are all part of the body of Christ. Once again, Paul needs to say it emphatically. So he says, now you're all part of the body of Christ. And each of you is part of it. There's just a couple of rhetorical questions for us to think about. What if I don't know where I belong? You're part of the body of Christ, and you're part of it. What if I don't know anybody, and I'm a little bit shy? You're part of the body of Christ, and you're part of it. What if nobody likes me? You're part of the body of Christ, and you're part of it. What if nobody last week spoke to me, not one person? You're part of the body of Christ, and you're part of it. What if I can't get along with somebody there? You're part of the body of Christ, and you're part of it. What if the person that sat next to me last week had really weird shoes and could not sing and was very distracting to me, frankly? You're part of the body of Christ, and you're part of it. There are an almost infinite number of what-ifs, aren't they? The answer to each one of them is you're part of the body of Christ, whether you feel like it or not. Whether you know your place or not, yet, you're part of the body of Christ. You're not here by accident. So these five points should act as a governor for how we think about the church and how we engage in the church. One, the church is composed of many different parts. Two, all of the parts of the church are needed. Three, all of the parts are ordered and arranged by God. Four, we give honor to one another. And five, we are part of the body. Therefore, what we do here matters. I don't mean here on Sunday morning. I mean here in our interactions and in our connections with one another. So we get so busy, we let a year go by where we haven't called anybody for lunch or breakfast. Or we haven't sent one single email saying, how you doing, just thinking about you. Or we haven't sent an email that says, I am in not a good spot. Can you help? Can you pray for me? If we haven't sent out one nano butterfly emotionally, then we're part of the body. We're just a dysfunctional part. We're like the broken fan belt. You and I have no idea the impact that our little part and the lack of it, the impact that it has. What we do here matters. Let's end with this. And a beautiful TED talk by a guy named John Sutherland. He's a police officer in London. He explained a principle in forensic science called Lacard's Exchange Principle. Uh, this principle is developed by a guy named Dr. Edmund Lacard, who was evidently the Sherlock Holmes of France. And it, it had a simple principle. Every contact leaves a trace. In other words, every criminal leaves a trace behind herself. So one forensic expert put it like this, wherever she steps, Whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously, will serve as a silent witness against him. Not only her fingerprints or her footprints, but his hair, the fibers from his clothes, the glass he breaks, the paint he scratches, the blood, 
she deposits or collects, this is evidence that does not forget. Sutherland explains how this principle applies not just to forensic science, but to all human relationships. Here's a quote. Every time two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place. Whether between lifelong friends or passing strangers, we encourage or we ignore. We hold out a hand or we withdraw it. We walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. And every single contact leaves a trace. The way that we treat and regard one another matters. It really matters. We are part of the body of Christ. All parts of the body are necessary. All parts are arranged by God. How we engage here matters. Let's pray. So Lord, it occurred to me earlier today that I can sometimes engage by hiding behind a role. And it's a big role. It takes up a lot of space. So it seems legitimate, but it's not what you're speaking anyway. I don't know how you've spoken to anyone else, Lord. I don't know what your word is for us, but I know, I know that you're calling us to something more. You want more for us than uh, the picket fence and granite countertops and a great deck. You want more for us than quality education for our children and travel softball. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would not let us rest until we step up and step in and step out. Until we figure out how to take who we are and invest it out here with others. Lord, I pray especially for those who are trying to figure this out and noodling on gateway and church. And I pray that you would bring clarity and specificity. I mean, uh, you know, a fan belt is a pretty specific item. And I pray that you would engage the fan belts and the transmissions and the brake pads and the foot pedals in this congregation and call us to life and call us into action. We hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, go in peace. Have a great day. See you next week.